Have you ever wanted to peek into the dark corners of history and see what you find? Luckily, you've come to the right place. I'm Teddy. I'm Katrina. And this is Grave History, a macabre history podcast. Katrina. Hi. Good evening. Hello. It's a lovely night. It's uh, fine. It's acceptable. <laughs> it's definitely a lovely night for ghost stories. Oh, yes, yes. It's a ghost stories kind of night. Mm. Would you like to hear some about the London Underground? I would like to hear some about the London Underground. Yay. But, you know, it's it's been a while. Um, I haven't lived in London since September 2018. Yeah, that's a that's a while. It is a while, yeah. I, I miss it. It's, uh, you know, obviously I was using the underground, oh, pretty much every day when I was there, but, you know, mm-hmm. when you're away, you, you forget about the London Underground. If only I <laughs> had some had some facts about the London Underground to... Well, <laughs> how about this? How I have about... some facts for you, actually. And well, there's some then. that I didn't actually know. Cool. So, because I've lived in London, spoilers, I've lived just on the outskirts of London my entire life. Mm-hmm. I don't live in London proper, but you live near one of the sta- one of the stations on the far end of the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The place that likes to call itself London, but absolutely isn't. Yeah, you had to go through fields and shit to get there. It was weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's green. Disgusting. But yes, a little uh, Cliff's Notes, if you will, about the London Underground. Tell me about the London Underground. It is, in fact, the oldest underground train system in the world. Yes. It started in 1863. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But didn't become fully electric until 1890. So <laughs> up until then, it was it was all wait, wait, wait. steam. I was going to say, well, did it run on coal? Yes. Goodness me, that must have been appalling to be underground. <laughs> oh, yeah. You think it's bad now. I do think it's bad now. Just imagine. Just imagining that. Because I went to the Transport Museum and they had all these, like, posters from when it sort of mm. first, well, when it first opened, during its early operating days. And yeah. they, one of the selling points was that it was warm down there, so it was like, escape the escape the cold of of, um, <laughs> of the London winter, which, you know, would, yeah. would have been attractive at the time, I'm very sure, but... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> It's um it it never really got cooler, did it? No, no. It's just ste- like the central line, especially. Oh my god! In it's summer. like the seventh circle of actually you no, know, the seventh circle of hell was made of ice. It's one of the other circles of hell that's the hot. earlier circles. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no. This summer just gone for those who don't live in London. Uh, it was about thirty-five degrees. Oh, I remember. I would um I had to get the train to work like every day, mm. and I would buy like an ice drink from Costa, and I would drink it, and then I would just put it inside my shirt for the rest of the journey yep. on the on the train. I always tried to make sure to bring like a hand fan, like one of those ones you fold out and fan yourself with, rather than an electric one. And the mm-hmm, looks mm-hmm, of jealousy mm-hmm. you would get from people who hadn't thought of that. Yeah, yeah. So I was trying to fan like the people either side of me as well. Um, there are lines that are better. The newer lines, specifically. Yeah. But yeah, Central Line is, is terrible. Was 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 the Central Line the old? What's the oldest line on the underground? It's not the oldest, yeah. but it is one of the oldest. The oldest one is actually the Metropolitan Line. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it started life as the Metropolitan Railway, running between Farringdon and Paddington. So really far. Yeah, that's... Wow. <laughs> yeah. You then went on to get the District and the Hammersmith and City Line. Yes. With the Central Line joining it a little bit later. And then the newest ones, for reference, we don't have the Elizabeth Line yet. Apparently at some point it's opening. I'll believe that when I see it. Mm-hmm. They started putting signs up for it, but you know what? I'm not going to hold my breath because I'll die. <laughs> but uh. before that, you had the... Jubilee and the DLR. Yeah, because the, the Jubilee was... Was it the Silver Jubilee? Yes. Yeah, so the 70s or mm. something. It's not as new as you think it is. Yeah. And then the DLR was... 
I want to say the 2000s, but it might be older I than that. I love the DLR. It's so fun. I spend, a, I spend a lot of time on the DLR. Yeah. Sit at the front and pretend you're driving the train. For those, I mean, it was a while ago that we mentioned this. We both used to work in Greenwich. Yep. And the, one of the only ways to get to Greenwich from central London is DLR. Yeah, so Camden, right? You live in Camden, you've got to go via bank. Oh! It's hell so on sorry. earth. Yeah, you send your worst enemies to change at bank. Yeah. Especially if they need the district line. Yeah, I just... Well, this is this is dissolving into one of those things where people talk about London transport a lot and everyone <laughs> who's not from London is like, what? What? <laughs> but, so, from just having the Metropolitan line, it's now going to have 11 lines. Try and name them, I bet you can. And 270 stops, including one of my favourites, Mudshoot. Yes, I... Uh, yes. Oh, is, where's that one? It's kind, it's kind of near Limehouse, right? It's just before uh, Cuddy Suck. That's the one. I just, yeah, I knew I'd heard that horrible word a lot, but I was blocked mm-hmm. out for some reason. Uh-huh. But it comes in at roughly the world's 11th busiest metro system. What's the first? I didn't look that up, and I probably should have. My guess would probably be Japan. Pre- probably, yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though, I've been on the Tokyo Underground and it is delightful. <laughs> it is very clean and air-conditioned. I can imagine it is. But from what I've seen from, like, YouTube videos I've watched of, of various weebs going to Japan, <laughs> there is a thing of, like, uh, signs being like, please don't spit on our stuff. Uh, yeah. Um, I think it gets pretty, like, a free-for-all. Well, it does get, like, it becomes kind of feral at um, commuting hours. (laughs) But I'm just listing off all the subway lines I've ever been on now, but New York was something else. I've never seen any rats in real life apart from in New York, all on the subway. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the London Underground has tube mice. Which I love the are tube mice. The best thing. In I the love world. seeing the tube mice. I adore them. They're, They're so, so good. Tiny I get so worried for them though when there's like oh, no. screamy women in stilettos, and I'm like, please run. No, the tube mice. They've been around long enough. I think they've got the the street sm- uh, rail rail smarts. So, although it is the eleventh busiest, it mm. handles around five million passengers a day, mm-hmm. and roughly one to three billion journeys a year. Wow. That was the kind of uh, statistic for between 2017 and 2018, according to TFL. That would mean I'm included in the statistic. How luxurious. Yeah, you're one of those one to three billion. Yay. So it was actually used quite famously, I think, as uh, a lot of the stations were used as bomb shelters during the Second World War. Yes. To such an extent that some stations had bunks actually fitted. Yeah. And chemical toilets, which I think are still there. And you know that smelled fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) But there were enough bunks built in the London Underground to house about 22,000 people. Wow. But the London Underground in general, throughout the entire, you know, six years of the war, sheltered around 300,000 Londoners. Wow. Which is pretty damn cool. And only a couple became, like, graves. (laughs) Namely, the one in Atonement that I don't remember the name of. I haven't seen Atonement because it looks like it's the kind of film that has a lot of lingering shots and implied yearning, which isn't really my thing. Yeah. Well, there were a couple of stations. I think this one, I don't remember what it's called. I'm sorry. I'm a terrible podcast host. But there was a direct (laughs) hit on a water main nearby and everyone in the station who was sheltering drowned. Fun fact. Bloody hell. What a way to go. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it was a very successful thing that was done. Now, which was the station in the 2008 cinematic masterpiece, The Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian, that um, <laughs> apparently contains a portal to Narnia? I don't know. Ben Barnes' face makes me angry. Does it? Interesting. Mm. I think it's because I've never forgiven whoever cast him as Dorian Gray. I was thinking about that movie earlier today because I walked it's past so a place bad. that sold Tango slushies and I was like, huh. Oh, God. When I went to see Dorian Gray, I had a Tango slushie and then I <laughs> smiled at the memory and carried on walking. Why can't they it. ever cast him as a blonde? Why is that so difficult? I don't know. I mean, that movie had a lot wrong with it. 
It did cast anyway. Colin Firth in the perfect role, though. So okay, yeah, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Yeah. that was pretty good. Back and also, to the they facts. they leaned into it being gay, um, yeah. which not I enough. Like. Not enough, no. But they some. leaned into it. They didn't admit. Yeah. Anyway, I'm so sorry. So, fun fact about Lo- the London Underground: while it's been being created over time, you know, over the hundred and so years that it's been running, several kind of stations mm. and lines have come across burial sites. And plague pits. Most recently, you had yeah. the 2015 Crossrail work at Liverpool Street Station, which uncovered not only the Bedlam burial site because Bethlehem is it yeah. Bethlehem Hospital? It's um Bethlehem Hospital. Thank you. I believe Bethlehem Hospital, um, which you know got turned into Bedlam in the mm. popular, po- but um, the hospital's still going today, and it's still called Bethlehem. Ah, yeah, that's cool. But yeah, they uncovered the, the burial site, and in amongst it, they found a 17th century plague pit. Cool. Which they were able to to set apart because all the other burials were, you know, quite orderly and, you know, one person per thing. And then this one, they found the bodies were just stacked like lasagna. <laughs> but it was very exciting because apparently they don't find a lot of plague pits from the Great Plague. They tend to be mostly from the Black mm. Death in the 12th century. Yeah. They find mostly from that, whereas the 16th, uh, not 16th century, 17th century victims tend to be a lot more difficult to find. How was that? The 1640s? 50s? Uh, 1660s. Right, gotcha. Because it was 1665 as a plague and then 1666 was the fire. <laughs> what a year. Uh-huh. And they had nothing to do with each other. No. Because there's that whole thing of, oh, the fire stopped the plague no it didn't uh no, you but yeah i've been to the museum of london i wrote i yeah. i know i've been to the london dungeon i know <laughs> these these facts i've been through the spinning tunnel of horror i i blocked that out man. yeah but there is a rumor that the underground uh, of london is so wiggly because of densely filled plague pits mm-hmm. this is not true. Oh, really? Oh, no. And I would like to call out an author by name here. I'm coming for her. So, the author of Necropolis, uh, London and It's Dead, I think her name is Catherine Arnold. Yes. She actually said in her book that the bit between South Kensington and Knightsbridge on the Piccadilly line is so kind of goes out of its way because there was a plague pit in the way. She was then questioned on it at some point. And admitted that, no, nah, she'd heard that from someone. But she hadn't actually, you know, researched, researched it. it. No. Oh, boy. It's actually, the reason London Underground is, is so wiggly is literally just due to, A, cost. Yeah. And B, the same reason the streets are so wiggly, land ownership. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally all it is. Like when since we mentioned the Great Fire, after that and a lot of property was wiped out, um Christopher Wren wanted to rebuild London in a grid, much like New York now is and parts of Barcelona are Oh yes, and... the ki- the kind of Parisian boulevards yeah. were put forward. But there was such a kind of hodgepodge of land ownership that it just wasn't possible. And that's why London streets are so kind of higgledy-piggledy all over the place. Which I think is kind of charming, but I, yeah. it is nice when you're in New York and you're like, I know exactly where I am because this place moves on a grid. Yeah. It's like a chess Because people can go, oh yeah, three blocks down and then two blocks right. And you're like, okay, yeah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Whereas trying to describe how to get somewhere in London, you're like, right, go down here until you reach that street light. You'll know it. Um, and then go right, but it's kind of a left. <laughs> God. It's it's very difficult. I will say, though, um, in regards to the, the, the plague pit, you know, trains sort of being so wiggly because it mm. goes around plague pits, which we know isn't true. Yeah. Very bold of anyone to assume they would not simply bulldoze through them. Mm. Well, there was actually a case where they did essentially do that. Yeah. When they were extending St Pancras mm-hmm. to make room for the Eurostar, oh, yeah. they went into a nearby church. They needed to excavate the area. And because there were so many bodies and it was taking so long for archaeologists to come up, they just got a forklift truck and just <laughs> got rid of them. Fucking archaeologists, man, with their time <laughs> and their paperwork and their stupid boots. Yeah, God. I mean, to be fair, in places like, you know, in places like Germany... You only have your grave for one to two years. 
That's all you need it for. I mean, graves are a pretty inefficient use of land. They are. And you don't need them past a certain if point. If we're going to get unsentimental about it. You're already decayed. Take your bones, put them in a jar, yeah. done. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's it. otherwise you're just sitting on land that you don't need. I do kind of want to be a skeleton hanging out in the underground forever, though, you know what I mean? That would be cool. That would be very cool. I want the train to, like, go a bit slower, like it's Pirates of the Caribbean and everyone on it can, like, yeah. look out and I'm, like, standing there holding an empty bottle. And you do the same movement over yeah. and over. Yeah, I'd be down for that. That'd be great. God, I can't wait to be dead. Don't take that out of context. <laughs> I'm going to use just that sound clip. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, <laughs> lay some more facts on me. I'm into this. Well, this comes to the end of my little factoid journey, but it does bring us to the ghosts. Ooh. Now, London, the London Underground, as is expected of something as old as it is, mm-hmm. in American terms, it's ancient. <laughs> there are a lot, a lot of ghosts. Too many for me to cover in in one episode. Mm. So I've sort of cherry-picked a few, if you will. Mm -hmm. The ones I thought were just, oh, really, oh, really good stories. Mm, Love it. I mean, I'm not surprised there's so many... I mean, anywhere with such a high volume of people passing through it is gonna Mm. create story... like, folklore. Yeah. And also, the ghost and... ghosts and transport is a very interesting link, because pretty much all cultures have some variant of the hitchhiking ghost myth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is kind of the main... Mm. the most famous sort of transport thing, but I think trains, ghost trains, might be up there with like ghost trains are pretty mm. pretty common yeah which is interesting because trains are relatively new but yeah absolutely but you know i mean i guess if it if it works people are dying all the time <laughs> why should ghosts only be pre-1800s yeah totally exactly in fact i have some ghosts here at least one mm-hmm. that is post 1800s post ghosts okay post ghosts <laughs> it's gonna be very fun okay give me some ghosts so we're going to start quite near to where I live, mm-hmm. in Bethel Green. Yeah, East End. I remember it. Yes. Yeah. So for those who don't know, Bethnal Green is on the Central Line, mm. which is the kind of main vein through London, as the name suggests. It is East London. It is near Tower Hamlet Cemetery. Yep. There is the Museum of Childhood nearby. That's a very good museum. Lots of fun. I cannot go there because I fucking hate china dolls interesting they terrify the living bejesus out of me i have a lot of china dolls i'm never coming to your house <laughs> very interesting though I'm, I'm making note of that please don't use it against me no 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 <laughs> never ever hmm. what else is nearby bethnal green lots of stuff spitalfields also nearby bethnal green uh, the Bethnal Green Working Men's Club, where I once went to a uh, satanic Christmas fair. <gasps> I lo- oh, I've been to one of those. It was They're great. so much fun. Yeah, I bought a necklace yeah. that said Hail Satan. Nice. I think I went to one and bought just an iron nail. Very good. Uh, on a necklace. I was like, good. Keep the fairies away. <laughs> but Bethnal Green, during the Second World War, was used as an air raid shelter and was properly set up as one. It wasn't just a kind of... You know, oh, everyone piled down into the underground, but it's not really prepared. This one was prepared. 5,000 bunks set up throughout the station, Mm -hmm. and it could hold up to 7,000 people. Nice. Wait, in in Bethnal Green? Yeah. Was Bethnal Green, like, drastically bigger back then? No. You could just squash people in, because also they (laughs) would turn off the tracks. So people could then sleep on the tracks as well. That can't have been hygiene. No, God no, but if you're desperate... I mean, I guess it's better than getting hit by a bomb. But exactly. There are some excellent Ugh. pictures if you if you have a little, you know, a cursory Google of, like, London Underground bomb shelters of people just sitting, you know, in their bunks, having a cup of tea with their kids, sleeping on the tracks in their sleeping bags. It's grand. They're having a great old time. Yeah, and it's great because that's what we're going back to now. Yeah, and we're all going to be sleeping in the London Underground. It's going to be great. That's what life's going to be like again. God bless. (laughs) Everything was going fine with Bethnal Green, the Mm -hmm. air raid shelter, until March 3rd of 1943, when it became the site of the worst civilian disaster in wartime Britain. Oh, God. 
Mm-hmm. This was, and when I say civilian disaster, I mean there is no input from the Luftwaffe. Yeah. At all. Okay. This is this is just civilians. Okay. So it's you know picture it. It's it's the night of March third, nineteen forty three, and the air raid sirens start. This isn't yep. you know this is a pretty common occurrence. It might not be the Blitz anymore, but the you know the bombings by the Luftwaffe are still going. They've been going for a while now. We're used to them. So the air raid sirens sound, but there is no one on duty at the station because they weren't expecting it, as they often don't. Don't. And only one door is open to let to let people in and out. Oh, no. So at this point, about 1,500 people are now trying to get into the station. <sighs> And this is everyone. This is old people. This is mothers with children, older children, everyone. Mm -hmm. Anti-aircraft guns, English anti-aircraft guns, start going off behind them. Mm -hmm. But these are mistaken by the slightly panicked public for bombs. And so they start trying to crush to get into the shelter. Because now everyone is fucking panicking. Yeah. It had been raining that day. So the stairs are slipping. Oh no! And if you've been to Bethnal Green, the stairs—they're—they're not—they're not stone. They're more kind of—they've got—they're tiled, from what I remember. Yeah, the yeah, I would not want to fall down no. those stairs. But unfortunately, a woman who's carrying her young child slips, and as she's Oof. falling, she grabs to kind of steady herself, catches an older man, and pulls. He comes down as well. And because the people at the back have no idea what's happening at the front, they just keep pushing. Ah. And people at the front are tripping and falling and it's just piling up and up and up until eventually 173 people died in total. They died? Yeah. Just from being being crushed? Yeah, mostly from um, asphyxiation. Oh, God. Mm. That is like one of the... I, that's got to be one of the worst ways to go. Oh, absolutely, because there's yeah. nothing you can do. No, Jesus Christ. In fact, most of the people who died were women and children. Well, yes, of course. Because that's who would have been home. That is one of my, like, biggest fears. Because, mm. like, years ago I saw a video of um, a nightclub fire yeah. that um, does the rounds quite a lot. And, the, you know, a lot of people were killed by smoke inhalation, mm. but a lot of people were also killed trying to get out in much the same way you've described. Yeah. Just got crushed. It's and it was... It's terrifying. haunting. It it's a terrible way to, yeah. Because it's that Jesus kind of Christ. people are killing you and they don't even realise that they are. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, especially someone like the... I don't, I don't want to die on the goddamn underground. No. I fell over on the escalator in the underground and it ruined my year and yeah. I'm not exaggerating that. I once fell up the escalator. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, you can imagine that kind of death would leave a big impact on a place if you believe in say like things like stone tape theory yeah the idea that you know buildings and places can hold on to memories well even if you don't believe in stone tape theory you can believe that places can have memory you know what i mean absolutely this so this particular haunting in contrast to some of the the other ones that i have i would say is more of a residual haunting right yeah, okay. Do you want to explain what a residual haunting is in case we've got any, any normies in the crowd? Ah, uh, normies. So a residual <laughs> haunting as opposed to, I guess you could call it an intelligent haunting, yeah. tends to be a repeat of something that's already happened. It's like a memory that replays. So it doesn't interact at all with the kind of people around it. The people who are seeing it are not part of it. They're just witnessing something that has already happened. I mean, we mentioned the Pirates of the Caribbean ride earlier. It's kind of like that. It's the same thing just happening over and over, regardless of who or what is coming through. You're on a track going through. It's um. There's, exactly. there's a very famous story, I forget where, but I know it's from England, of a, a man who went into a basement and saw a legion of Roman soldiers yes. walking through. Yeah, you know the one I mean? That's Colchester Castle. That's it, thank you. Yeah. And um, they, they were cut off at the knee because the floor had been built up around yeah. them, but they, yeah, they still walked the, the same way. That's, mm-hmm. yeah. That's why people often describe seeing ghosts go through walls. Yeah, because they're, they're just... They're just doing what they've always been yeah, doing. Yeah, they're following mm. the same track. I still don't know if I believe in ghosts, but I find the idea of residual haunting more credible than yeah. intelligent haunting, I will say that much. Absolutely. Mm. So what this led to was, is 
I would say something quite horrid. Essentially, what will happen is essentially that kind of moment of panic and fear and death just plays again. And then oh, it'll God. play again. There's a, a story that I've I found about a, a guy who was working in the station. You know, just one of the TFL staff, you know, bless him. They've already got a lot to exactly. deal with. And it was getting ready to, he was getting ready to call it for the night. Because it was before the days of the night tube. Because on Saturday, Sunday, uh, Friday and Saturday now on the Central Line, the train runs all night. But the last train had gone. All the staff had gone home. He's just securing everything behind him turning off the lights and finishing up the paperwork he's not been in his office very long when he starts hearing children sobbing just just in the distance at first (laughs) that's never something you want to hear under under any circumstance really now there is a thing with with bethnal green that's been investigated that from where he would have been you can hear some noise from street level right so for that reason, I'm assuming he kind of shrugged it off and carried on kind of working. You know, he's TFL staff. He's got to deal with worse stuff. But the crying started growing louder and louder. And then he starts hearing female voices and female screams to go along with it, as well as other noises that he couldn't quite identify. But he described the sound as being similar to people who were just in absolute panic. And he said the sounds lasted for about 10 to 15 minutes. And he was so frightened that he just ran out of the office and rushed the top of the booking hall uh, to get away from it because it was so kind of all-consuming. Was it um like like was it just sounds or was it a feeling? You know, uh, some people just des- some people describe a feeling accompanying. Mm. I think it's from what I understand of it, it seems to just mostly be sound. Right. Because there's mul- apparently multiple reports of staff who've worked nights at that station hearing similar things i mean that would be scary enough Mm, absolutely just set just imagine being on your own in a station i don't want to imagine no (laughs) (sighs) that one i think is the one that affects me the most that's heavy i've got as i came in like when i was imagining underground ghosts i was kind of imagining it to be slightly whimsical no you know like a kind of skimble shanks the railway ghost cat (laughs) You know? No. Sorry, I saw I saw cats two weeks ago, and no. it's still all I can think about. It's infected the show. I'm sorry. I actually know I'm not even a tiny bit sorry. Accept it. <laughs> You're not sorry. No, not even a tiny bit. But <laughs> you understand what I mean, though, right? Yeah. It's kind of yeah. You, you think like, oh, it's going to be like the railway children. Oh, lovely. Because most of my railway associated thoughts are whimsical. Mm. So. We're not going to get any lighter, I'm afraid. Oh no! In our next story. Okay, so I've got to make up my own ghost cat who's a yes. who's a who travels around on the subway solving mysteries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. I've got that in my head now. That's fine. <laughs> so the next one we're coming to is Farringdon, which, if you'll remember, mm. is one of the original London Underground stations. Yes. But before it was a station, it was an area of slums near to Smithfield Market which is a very mm-hmm. old kind of fish and meat and produce market. Mm-hmm. Would you call it that? Uh, I, if I was pressed, probably. Yeah. It's also right next to St. Bart's, which you definitely know. Oh, yes, I do. Because <laughs> you love hospitals, as we know. Beautiful painted ceiling. Oh, in the church? Yeah. I've not actually been in the church yet. I need and to. And I think they used it in an episode of Sherlock, and people went absolutely local they for that. They did, they did. Mm. It was in the Reichenbach Falls. There's still don't. There's still graffiti say there. It by name. Oh Jesus Christ! Sorry. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's in this area of London where the story kind of begins, following a woman called Anne Naylor. She lived in this area in the 18th century with her sister. They were both orphans and were apprenticed to a millinery from the kind of orphanage school. Like it wasn't quite. Because it, obviously it didn't exist yet, but like sent um, what's his fucking name? <laughs> what's the charity that used to be like a poorhouse school for children? It was sent Burr. Um, uh, you might have no, not sent Burr. Bernardo's. Bernardo's. Yeah, yeah, like that. They had a lot of those back then. Yeah, but they were apprenticed to this millinery run by a mother and daughter called the Metchouts. 
And mm-hmm. unfortunately, the mother and daughter became well known for mistreating their apprentice- apprentices and basically anyone who lived with them. They would beat them, they would starve them, they anything they did wrong would be punished to the kind of maximum degree. Oof. And Anne attempted to escape from this millinery uh, twice, and each time when she was brought back, she was severely punished. Um, but the second time, she was actually kind of left, kind of tied to a thing, and they didn't feed her, and they didn't keep her warm, and eventually she actually died. <laughs> This is really, this is really sad. I know, I know. This, that, that's another thing that sounds whimsical, but isn't being a milliner's apprentice. Yeah, I'm sure there were milliner's apprentices who had a great time. Yeah, I've seen Hell's Moving Castle. Yeah. Anyway. So, not wanting to alarm the other the other apprentices, the the mother and daughter stored um, Anne's body in a trunk in the loft, taking food up to her so that the other apprentices didn't know. That she was dead. Wait, wait, wait. Was she? Was she? Was she alive or dead? Oh, she they were dead. taking food up to. Her. Sorry, they were pretending. Because they didn't want to alert the other apprentices, and most specifically, they didn't want to alarm Anne's sister, who didn't know. However, after about three months of this, they worried that the smell was going to become noticeable, so yeah. they dismembered her, and they dumped her in an open sewer on Chick Lane, which is around where Farringdon Station would eventually stand. Right. Chick Lane has actually now disappeared from maps, but I did some sleuthing, you'll be very proud of me. I love sleuthing. Comparing an old map from Maps of London. I love that website. When it was Smithfield, which I love. And comparing it to a modern map, you know, trying to match up. Because Little Britain, the street was still there. Obviously St Bart's was still there. Mm -hmm. Charter House was still there. So you can kind of match it up approximately. And Chick Lane was just to the left of Smithfields. Okay. Where there used to be kind of, I wouldn't call it a river, let's say, but a thing of water. A trickle. A stream. Yes. An open sewer. An open sewer, yes. Un ouvre ouvert. Sounds fancy when you say it in French. It does. When the body was discovered, it was assumed that she'd been the victim of body snatching. Very dangerous possibility. Previous episode. <laughs> yes. Who had been dissected and then kind of tossed out. Yeah. Um, and for a while, no one found out about it. The sister was also murdered, but there's kind of no <laughs> record of what happened to her. By by the mother and daughter. Yeah. <laughs> but after a while, the ghost of a woman in white began to be seen around Chick Lane. Mm. She was seen screaming along this bit of a bit of land so this is the ghost is kind of already there in 1759 Mm. after a fight the daughter of the metyards moved out and she met a lover after a while together he mentioned the ghost in passing this ghost of chick lane and because of this huge fight that her and her mother had had they'd really just fallen out she told him what her and her mother had done. Oh boy. He naively told the authorities. Well, how naively can he? He sound. He just sounds like a straight up knock. That's true. That's true. But the thing is, here's the thing. He tried to downplay the daughter's role, thinking that she wouldn't get arrested for it. Ha 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 ha. But both were arrested and found guilty, and later hanged at. Where do you think they were hanged? Um. um Where did everyone um, get hanged? Uh, I, I, you've got it. You've I, got it. I, I, ge- I genuinely it is on the tip of my tongue. Um, Tyburn. The new Tyburn. God damn it! What is... In seventeen sixty-eight. There's like five different syllables. You just sort of pick two of them, <laughs> and it's a place in London. Yeah. Um, and because of the kind of confusion about Anne's body, thinking maybe it had been dissected, uh, their bodies were dissected. Ah. I love this thing of like. Whenever people are like, oh, you made money out of dissecting, like selling people to be dissected, we're gonna dissect you. <laughs> yeah. Well, how do you like that, huh? It's it's like yeah, it's payback. I, I mean, I guess it is because, mm, yeah, there was more f- more fear about what happened to your body, your mortal and, like, body. Your mortal, your mortal body. I beg your pardon. It's yeah. like a religious thing, isn't it? I don't know. I wasn't raised religious. I'm scrambling in the no. dark. No, it was a thing of. When the kind of res- the grand resurrection happens, everyone's body will be raised from the ground, immaculate and perfect. Well, in case you don't got to worry, it'll be remade. Yeah, it's fine. Boom, boom. 
also just for clarity's sake some stories don't have this love of finding out but instead have her screaming about it during a fight or after her mum's beaten her just screaming mm-hmm. about this and people over here. Well, differs in stories. But as I said, Chick Lane does not exist. But no. comparing the maps, it seems to be essentially where the tracks for Farringdon now are, approximately. Okay. Which is weird because it seems to be there's no real connection between the ghost and the place of haunting. Do you know what I mean? I think I know what you mean. Like, she's got no connection to Farringdon Station as, the, as a station. Yeah, but, you know, it's the location. Yeah, it's the residual haunting location again, isn't the it? Station. Yeah, residual haunting. Um, so she's another residual one. Has she been seen recently? She's not a scene either. She's a here. Right. Okay. And they, they just hear her screaming. Yeah. Usually after the last trains have gone, or as the last trains Nighttime. are kind of... Yeah. You just hear screaming. So, I don't know what the area around there is like, but here's my problem with screaming hauntings, mm. fam. Have you ever heard of Fox? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get quite a lot of them in central London. There was one that lived outside yeah. my dorm window, and he would frequently scream into the night. I will say, I know the area a little bit, and there are also a lot yeah. of pubs in that area. <laughs> yeah. So that that's, that's possible, uh. I guess. But, um, I would give more credibility to it if it was in the middle of the day. People heard eerie screaming in yeah, the middle of the day. Because then it's less mm. likely to be the pub or foxes, but then also it might just be mistaken for something happening on the street. Well, yeah. I mean, whereabouts do they see her? Do, I mean, hear her? Do they hear her on the platform? Yeah, or? on the platforms. On, okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, if it's night if it's nighttime, that's... Yeah. And it's not even an underground station. It's an overground, like not an overground, but an above ground station. Yeah, yeah. So that one has a little bit less credibility to it, but I thought the story was so fucking terrible. I do like the story, though. The story's good. It's it's a very kind of of its time story, you know? That's a that's a very London murder ballad, Nick Cave type story, you know what I mean? Yeah. It would only yeah. happen in the slums. Well, of course. Yeah. Back when being a milliner was a thing you could do. Yeah. But before we get to our last story, which is a little bit more upbeat, it still has someone being murdered, but it's a little bit more fun before we get to the murder. Okay. I thought we'd take a small break to maybe hug a soft toy or a pet or, you know, just a nice cup of tea. Hug a nice cup of tea. Because those last two stories were a lot. They were a lot. So, yeah. Hug a small cuddly thing or cup of tea have a small cuddly cup of tea yeah and (laughs) we will be back with a slightly more upbeat story in just a moment it's an awful mess and a bad case of cannibalism quote by master corporal bob bisson if you want to hear more bad cases of cannibalism and indeed awful messes make sure to listen to casting lots a survival cannibalism podcast Okay, are we all feeling a little bit more uh, happy? Absolutely not. Continue. Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Honestly, I didn't realise how terrible those two were until I said them one after the other, and then I was just like, oh. I mean, I don't know, I feel like like we've covered worse, but, you know, it's just... Yeah. (laughs) I don't think we've covered anything like the, um, the Bethnal Green one. No. And I think that's the one that gets to me the most. Yeah, I mean, large-scale disasters are always pretty, especially when they were, I'm going to say, preventable. Although yeah, I don't absolutely. I don't know what measures I would have taken. I'm just, all of Britain... Open both the doors. Yeah, well, yeah, that first of all. All of Britain pre, yeah. like, I don't know, the 80s was just one enormous health and safety hazard. It really was. I mean, there's that quote from, was it BuzzFeed Unsolved? Where it's like, all the great kind of health and safety things now are written in blood. Oh, isn't that the, the Osher Code thing is written in blood or something because of the, the, the shirtwaist triangle factory fire, which is quite a famous yeah, workplace disaster. I think in that one it was related to the Tylenol murders. Yes, actually, yes. I, rem- I recall that episode now, yeah. I mean, the shirtwaist factory, there was a fire very recently in, I want to say, South Asia 
in mm. a clothing factory mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was very similar. So they didn't learn jack shit well, from the Sherwaist fire. They absolutely did not. It's no. I will say I whenever I go somewhere new I will scope out the fire exits. Which might yeah. make me sound like a paranoid weirdo. But it comes No, out. it's very sensible. Yeah, it comes back to that that that, that um, nightclub video I saw. It haunted me, man. Yeah. I can imagine it would. <laughs> Awful. On the subject of haunting. Oh yes. We've got uh-huh. our final story. Very good. Now, this one we're centering in on Covent Garden, which is a horrible train station. I'm going to say it right now. There is no escalator. I'm not fun. There's no. only a lift. Or Disgusting. like six million stairs. Covent Garden is very nice, obviously. It's, you know, yeah. gentle. But stop getting off at Covent Garden. Go to Leicester Square. And walk. Or go to Holborn. Yeah, yeah. And walk. Leicester Square's like right next to it. Just walk. Yeah. If you walk from Holborn, you get to walk past the enormous Freemason Temple. It's great. I love the Freemason Temple. Oh, same. But yeah, Covent Garden is where we, where our ghost this time mm. is. And we are centering in on a actual person. Another person, much like Anne. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one is a well-known person. Yeah. So we are centering in on one William Terrace. And please, as I am right now, Google him and look at the picture <laughs> of him on his Wikipedia. It's so good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what a babe. He looks a tiny bit like my brother. That is weird. I've never... I won't call him a babe then. I, ne- <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> no, I said I won't. Yeah. It's fine. So, he was born in 1847 as William Charles L- James Lewin, but he was a famous Vic- uh, Victorian actor, mm-hmm. well known for hero, kind of swashbuckling roles, but also Shakespearean performances and melodramas. I love the word swashbuckling. Same. <sighs> so, in his early life, he had a brief stint in the Merchant Navy and a brief stint... As a tea planter in Bengal, Very nice. among other things. Mm-hmm. But he first appeared on stage, having had an interest in Amdram mm-hmm. earlier on in life, in 1868 in Birmingham, age 21. What was the role? Uh, I didn't write that down. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like a well-known play. Mm. He then went on to appear in the West End in 1870. But he became restless after meeting his wife in 1870. Mm-hmm. And they went to South America to try and sheep farm. Interesting life this guy had. And try and live a rustic life. Mm. Uh, In 1871, they returned to London with a child. So clearly the rustic life... I mean, I want to say it didn't agree with them, but they had a kid, so maybe it did. Very. (laughs) I don't know. Had so much fun sheep farming that they had time to procreate. I mean, I imagine sheep farming... Nothing is sexier than sheep farming, so I completely understand. (laughs) So he came back to London and returned to acting. Hmm. He had great success in plays like Rebecca and Ivanhoe by Sir William Scott at the Theatre Royal in Drury Lane. I named those plays for you. Are you appreciating that? Um, I'm accepting it. My dad was in a Amdram version of Rebecca. Oh, really? Huh. I, okay, yeah, I, I like Rebecca. I'm not a huge... I'm sure it was. I'm, just, I'm not a huge fan of... Was it William Scott or was it Walter Scott? That's who I was thinking of. Uh, Am I going insane? It might be Sir Walter Scott. The the guy... One who... of them went to the Arctic or Antarctic. One of them wrote plays and I can never remember I think it's which. Walter Scott. I'm really showing my ignorance oh, here. Oh, don't worry. We both I, I, w- I went to the Discovery Centre in Dundee like <laughs> the other day as well. This is disgraceful. Oh, no. I can't remember any. I just wanted to look at the boat. Yeah, that's fair. But guess what? What? In 1872, he gets bored again. And he takes his young family, he now has two children, mm-hmm. um, to America this time, North America, wh- wh- to try and breed horses. Okay. Yep. They return in 1873. This, uh, this is just like... You know that friend you've got who's always like, I'm really, like, I've decided yoga's going to be my thing now. Like, I'm really into yeah. it. I'm just so, it's just my thing. And you're like, uh-huh. And then two months later, they're like, yeah, whatever. That's not my, to what I'm really into. I'm really into my beard and, like, beard oils. <laughs> if I described this as a very quintessentially Victorian man story, would you know what I meant? Yes. Yes, I would. Yeah. 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 
When he returned, he decided to focus completely on theatre work and became a very beloved theatre presence. He was supposedly very friendly and handsome yeah. and gallant with a fine voice, you know, so well well made for theatre. Mm. He had two children, as I mentioned. He had a daughter, Elaine Terrace, who went on to become a very popular Edwardian actress mm-hmm. and also a son who went on to also be an actor but also a screenwriter and a film director. Very which good. Which is pretty cool. In 1880, he joined a theatre company at the Lyceum and went on to appear in several Shakespeare's, such as Hamlet. As Hamlet? And Othello. As Othello? I think as Hamlet. No, not as Othello, as Laertes. <laughs> in 1885, he met a woman called Jessie Millwood. Mm-hmm. They established themselves as romantic leads, both in plays and also presumably in, in real life as well. Which is awkward. What's it mean? But Oh, right, because he's, he's, he's got a wife. Oh, no. Yeah. But the New York Dramatic Mirror called him one of the greatest and next to Henry Irving, undoubtedly the most popular actor in England. Very nice. Also, that's a great name for... I'm assuming it's a paper, the New York Dramatic Mirror. The Dramatic Mirror. Mm. I love it. So, just really setting the scene. He is, you know, he's well-known, he's popular. But in 1897, age 50, Terrace was murdered at the Adelphi Theatre by a fellow actor named Richard Archer Prince, which is another great Victorian name. That's a great villain name. I think. Yeah, Richard Archer Prince. <laughs> he sounds like the bad guy in like a like a Miss Marple. I'm imagining him to look like um, Blackadder in the first series of Blackadder for absolutely no reason. <laughs> I don't know, I'm picturing him as a bad guy in like um, Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. Oh yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah? I mean... It- with, like, a pencil moustache. It's about 30 years too early, but sure. Yeah, I'll humor you know what, you. it's fine. It's fine. So, Terrace and Pri- uh, Prince had actually had a bit of a... They knew each other. They had a bit of a relationship. What kind of relationship? Does this get gay? No, sadly not. Ugh, boring. So, Terrace had helped Prince find work when he had been struggling, like, and trying to get his foot kind of on the ladder, but Prince had a real problem with um, alcohol abuse and mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. reaching a point where he essentially became unemployable. And they worked together on a play where Prince had quite a small part and Terrace took offence to something the Prince had said and had him dismissed. But guilt led him to essentially sending Prince money through what's called the Actors Benevolent Fund. For out-of-work out actors? Yeah, or? I'm assuming it's like yeah. job seekers, but for actors. <laughs> God, can you can you imagine how obnoxious that that office would be oh, going God. in to claim the benefits? Jesus Christ! Because you can't actually claim um, unemployment benefits if you're an actor. You can't. Nope. Interesting. Yeah. Did not know that. So by the time of the murder, eighteen ninety seven, Prince was now destitute and desperate. But as I said, he'd made himself unemployable. That night, he tried to get money from the fund, but was told it wasn't possible and that he would have to wait. So kind of angry at at Terrace because in his, I guess in his mind, it was because it was Terrace's fault that he wasn't getting his money. Mm. He went and stood outside the Adelphi Theatre where Terrace was doing performances for a particular run. And he waited until Terrace appeared going towards the stage doorway on Maiden Lane and stabbed him to death in the stage doorway. Jesus Christ. As, as you do. He was arrested and found guilty but insane and was sent to... Where do you think he was sent? Um, uh, where does one go when they're criminally insane? Broadmoor. Yes. Oh. Was sent to Broadmoor where he stayed until he died in 1937. Wow. And his sentence was viewed as, as very light by the kind of general populace. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty... Brutal crime. Also, I'm sorry, I don't. Yeah. I didn't mean to track, but I just looked up the Adelphi Theatre, and guess what? The 1998 video of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats was filmed at theatre. Wow! Wow! I love that movie. I do love what that movie. What a connection! Movie. Yeah, I know. Maybe Terrace was watching. Maybe going. What the fuck is that? He was like, <laughs> "This is too much for me. I've got to." Yikes! <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> That's but delightful. He, uh, Terrace was buried in Brompton Cemetery. Mm. So you can probably, if you can find him in Brompton Cemetery, go and visit him. Maybe I will. Um, as for his ghost, yeah. the important yeah, part yeah. of the story, it's seen in two places. Mm-hmm. First, obviously, 
at the Adelphi, mm-hmm. but more importantly, at Covent Garden Station. Why the station? Now, from what I could tell, the only kind of theory that I could find was that there used to be a baker's where the kind of entry point now is Mm. that he frequented because it was kind of in his area of traveling ah okay i completely get it that makes sense i mean i would i'm definitely gonna be hanging around la durée when i die i can't think of where else i'd like to hang out (laughs) give me free macarons (laughs) please me like pan coated down i need some bread please bread and they're like the bread ghost has returned placate her and we may continue so he's an interesting one in that appearances of him only go up to the 1970s all right there's a story uh reported or recorded sorry in the book haunted london Mm -hmm. by peter underwood oh yes yes yeah which tells the uh, story of a ticket collector called jack hayden Mm -hmm. and i quote who was making a final check that the platforms were deserted when he suddenly noticed a tall and distinguished-looking man walking along the westbound subway and climbing the emergency spiral stairs. Hayden quickly telephoned upstairs and told the booking office clerk to apprehend the man. Hayden himself took the lift up and met a puzzled clerk who said no one had emerged from the stairs. (laughs) This was followed by a sighting of the same man uh, days later, and upon being shown a picture of William Terrace, Hayden was adamant that this was the person he'd seen. Ooh... Very good. Yeah. However, interestingly, as I mentioned, his kind of hauntings only go up to the 1970s. And it seems that as kind of footfall at Covent Garden Station has increased, mm-hmm. his disappearance, his appearances, sorry, dwindle. You'd think he'd, he'd, he'd relish a larger audience. You'd think. But also it just seems kind of either. This is another th- thought I've just had. Mm-hmm. Either. People pay more attention because there were fewer people there and that's why he was noticed. Oh. Or he's still there and there's just so many people that no one notices him amongst everyone else. Oh, that's sad. I mean, in a way, it's kind of interesting, the idea of ghosts moving about, moving among the living in London and just not, just blending in. I mean, honestly, I kind of like that. Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, London's full of ghost stories. Oh, absolutely. Some, I don't know if you ever heard the one about the naked five running around Trafalgar Square. No, oh my God, I won't. Go, I won't go into it now. Oh, please tell me about it after we're done. If you saw five naked dudes sprinting around Trafalgar Square, what would your first thought be? Okay, I guess it's a Thursday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You wouldn't think, oh, I've just seen a ghost. No, well, absolutely not. Yeah, so I guess if you saw someone dressed in what I'm going to assume was a fairly eccentric manner for yeah. 2020 in Covent Garden, you'd think, huh, London. That's uh, Zach Pinson. He's in London. Cool. Okay. Yeah. I don't, you don't notice how people are dressed in London anymore. You're just like, yep, that's, yep. Yeah. So that kind of brings us to the end of my, my little trip through mm. some London ghosts. As I said... There's a lot that I haven't covered because there are so many. But if you want some recommendations, got the stories from the Kennington Loop. Mm-hmm. You've got the I think she's called the Black Nun of Bank. Oh, now I probably encount I pr- I probably violently shoulder checked her at some point trying to get past. Most likely. Yeah. There's also the man in white overalls at Liverpool Street. Well, that's in how. Hang on, do we know it's not just a construction worker? No, because he's got a similar thing to what happened with Terrace, where he'll be seen at one point and then never appear at the next point, and there's nowhere for him to have disappeared in between. (laughs) And there's no one scheduled to be working. Alright, I'll accept it. And there's also some at King's Cross as well, very modern ones, because there was a big fire in King's Cross, I believe, in the eighties. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's a there's a there's a plaque there for it. I yeah. remember seeing it. Yeah. So there's some ghosts related to that as well. There was one I tried so desperately to fit in, but she just didn't connect to the underground enough. But there's mm. a, a ancient Egyptian princess who haunts the tunnels under the British Museum. Well, that that that's one of the sort of big abandoned stations, the British Museum station. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, that's what that. See, I like that. That's yeah. spooky story. And you can still see that between uh, Holborn and Tottenham Court Road. Yes, you can. Still and visible. if you're 
if it what's the book I had um the book called Explore Everything by mm. uh Bradley L. Garrett and it has a whole section in it about him and his mates going exploring tube passages, which is pretty Ooh. interesting and cool if you're into that kind of thing. That's cool. Yeah, it is cool. But yeah, I mean, I love a good ghost story. And, I mean, London's just so full of ghost stories, you've got to divide them up into categories, mm. really. You know, underground ghost stories, Thames River ghost stories, which oh, is yeah. a thing that exists as well. There is a really good documentary that I think was originally on Channel 5, which is on YouTube now, from what I remember. I love a good YouTube documentary. Called, I think it's just London Underground Ghosts or Ghosts of the Underground. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's very good. And they do try to explain some of them. So just before we finish, I wanted to mention their particular way of explaining some of the um, the hauntings. Okay. Which I think can be accredited or used to explain a lot of hauntings. Mm-hmm. And that's infrasound. Right. So infrasound is a level of sound that exists just below human hearing. So at about 19 to 20 hertz. Okay. It exists just outside of hearing but humans can perceive it in a way but the way it's perceived by humans is a feeling of unease and dread and you know like they're being watched do trains make that noise yeah trains can make that noise the movement of trains through the tunnels and the movement of escalators and all the kind of things going on behind the scenes can create infrasound. That's interesting. The problem with it, though, is that while it would explain the feelings of, you know, as I said, unease or dread or being watched, that kind of something's here that I can't explain, it wouldn't explain full kind of apparitions or, like with the first story, the full sound mm. of of what this man heard. Yeah, because, I mean, that's what I asked you. Was it, was it a feeling or was it... A, and you... You did say sound, so... Yeah, it was very clear that it was a sound. Mm, that is... I guess a sound like that as well as... Because, I mean, with the screaming lady, that could be fox screaming or a drunk mm. person screaming. But, yeah, the, I've got to say the first one's probably my favourite story um, insofar as... Yeah, it's good, isn't it? It's, it's very chilling. Mm. I think it's also a good reminder of what the Second World War like the sort of scars it left on London, which you can see Absolutely, everywhere yeah. when you're just walking around. Yeah. One of my favourite spots for seeing kind of the scars of of World War Two is in mm. South Kensington. Mm-hmm. Down the side of the V and A that faces onto I wanna say Exhibition Road. I think that's the one. Uh there's just great gouges taking out taken out of the stone that makes up the the facade the wall yeah yeah um which is all shrapnel damage you can see a lot of it in um so around ucl um for one of my one of my courses we got taken on like a walk to look at um war damages around the area and yeah in a lot of the buildings there they have these kind of patches of dirty stone Mm. and what that is is they were they were hit by shrapnel um during the war and then they were replaced and they replaced it and they made it the same color as the stone but then they actually cleaned the buildings at some point Uh and you know the actual build yeah the the actual buildings were a lot a a much paler color than the stone they'd replaced it with so if you if you look closely at some buildings you can see that oh that's Uh, cool yeah yeah also in um i want to say in south london Mm. there's fences there that are made from stretches oh yes from the first and second i think it's the first no second world war yeah i was about to say that because also very close to UCL, an iron fence that um, mm. was removed because that happened to a lot of fences during the yeah. Second World War, I believe. So they could, you know, use the metal. And yeah, there's an sense. art installation that this is very close to the British Museum. There was an art installation there where when you walk close to it, it made like a clanging sound out of nowhere. Oh, that's cool. As, yeah, as if you were like hitting a phantom fence with a stick. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that's the, that's that's what I love about London. It's full of all those quirks. Mm. And you, you do have to look hard for them, but they're worth finding. Yeah, I mean, London is an incredibly old city, and yeah, you don't have to look far to kind of see just how old it is. No, not at all. And yeah, there's just so much. Mm. I mean, this we we've covered three stories mm. from London. Uh, yeah, and we've barely scratched the surface at all. I've yeah. still got loads more. So much more. Loads go. more to talk about. Yeah. I and that's only London. Exactly, well. that's only London. And I need to. I I need to do a. Ooh, 
juicy Jack the Ripper thing because that's you probably going to be the one of the main focuses of my PhD, which is kind of cool. Yeah. That's very exciting. It is very exciting, isn't it? And also I really look forward to explaining to people what I do because... <laughs> <laughs> people go so what are you studying and you're like well let me tell you i'm i'm just gonna (laughs) did you just lock the door yeah we're gonna be here a while the year is 1888 (laughs) please i want to leave tough (laughs) fucking luck too fucking bad bitch it's ripper time it's (laughs) hello naughty children it's ripper time (laughs) (laughs) welcome to rip city <laughs> that is kind of where my passion for maps came in, though, because I've I've got a lot of old London maps yeah, from that you're like era. Yeah, because a proper historian. Uh, I'd like to put an asterisk next to historian, if I may. But um, <laughs> but you but you're going to be a proper historian too, right? You're going to soon, soon. Yeah. yeah, I've got to start with student finance first. Woo. Ugh, that's the most uh-huh. tedious thing in the world. But yeah, what what are we? Do we know what we're covering next time, or is it a surprise? Yes, so, um, it's my turn next time. It is. And um, I know I've mentioned this to you at some point, but it's been such a while. Shall I explain what I'm covering? Please do, I'm okay. excited. So, it's still a little bit nebulous, but what I want to talk about is um, the history of censorship in Britain, specifically Ooh. focused on violence, because, mm. you know, that fits more with the, with the theme. Plus yeah. My 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 kind of theme overall. Um, so we're going to be looking at a lot of stuff. It, it's not just censorship. It's it, it's stuff that was also you know considered to just be in poor taste, but which mm. aroused curiosity. So I'd like to talk um, probably a bit about Penny Dreadfuls. Oh yeah. Yeah. Not not for too long, but you know a bit. But also um, I've been doing a lot of reading about kind of the moral panics of the sixties, seventies, the eighties. Which is very interesting, so taking it to modern times a, a wee bit. Yeah, that's the closest to modern times we've got. Yes, and the legacy of the video nasties, which is a yeah. hell of an interesting story. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, well, you will be, I hope. <laughs> All right, but that brings okay. us to the end of tonight's episode. Tonight's spooky episode. Um, thank you mm. for joining us. I hope you all manage to sleep. I hope you all don't miss the last train home. Ooh. I mean, if you don't live in London, you're probably fine. <laughs> if you live in Glasgow, even better, because it just goes round and round in a circle. It's great. <laughs> Good night. Night. Night.